Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of Her Story. This is your host, Cassidy Reed, and today I'm talking with Laura Reed. Woohoo! Same last name as me, just spelled differently. Laura's from the UK. She is a cellist and she's also a composer, and she is working on this all female opera production that is going to be happening in the UK. So that means the entire cast is female, and the entire production crew, I'm talking who's writing the music, who's directing, even the animation for the opera, is all women. And so I think it's really fascinating that she's taking on this project, and she's working within the Imaginary Opera Company to create this amazing production. And so in this interview, we talk about her life and her experiences, but we also delve into this awesome opera. Please, if you are in the UK, try to get into this performance because I know because of coronavirus they're probably only letting like 20 people to the first performance but if you're in America she will be posting it online a stream of the opera so I will be sure to put the link into this episode caption that you will find anywhere you are listening to the podcast so please make sure you are checking out this opera when it is released it is set to have its first performance on September 9th so it's really exciting project, so please make sure you're supporting them and their endeavors in trying to have an opera production during this time of COVID. So let's make sure we're supporting arts everywhere. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, my name is Laura Reed, and I'm a composer and a cellist based in the UK. I currently live in Christchurch near Bournemouth in the southwest of England, but I've lived all over the shop in the UK, though. <laughs> That's awesome. And you also said that you spent some time in the States as well. Yeah, it was so exciting. In my second year at university, I went and did Camp America. It was quite a thing back in when I was a student, and I was like just applied got to New Jersey Edmonton it was a real challenge you know I was working on a camp called Kitty Keepwell Camp and I've never really taught music before and I was the music expert and it was really cool I loved it we did drumming in the forest and all kinds of stuff we had to sort of make it up as we went along but I got to go to New York on my days off so I used to go and then went to the Metropolitan Art Museum and you know I just loved the culture and the culture sort of change from the different states was quite interesting because yeah. I grew up an hour from London so I knew what it was like to be in that sort of you know different life experience and stuff it was cool it was really cool <laughs> yeah, that's great what got you interested in music in the first place yeah I've grown up with family that were really open to music. So my auntie was a pop singer back in the day and um, in the 80s, she signed to Chrysalis. And so I saw it as like a thing that people did. And my mum and dad weren't musicians at all, but they played records at home. And I think my mum had a tape of Jacqueline Dupre playing cello. And I, so I was familiar with the instrument. And then it came to school. We grew up in Northamptonshire. So it had a really great like music service, which is a service for everybody. 
and I just luckily got a chance to start learning when I was about, I, it was a junior school, so I must have been eight, because my son's just going up to junior school now, so it's sort of taking me back. So yeah, I learned cello through school, and then got to do orchestra, and then studied, and it just, I think it just then happens, doesn't it, when you get that first opportunity, yeah. you're so lucky, you know. Yeah, I mean, I always felt, felt a bit of an outsider I think you know when you're a kid like I moved around when I was quite young so I was born in Sheffield moved to a place called a town called Wellingborough in Northamptonshire and music was a way to connect with people because I didn't have my close family other than my parents with me so it was a really good way to make proper bonds and friendships with people so lots of my close friends were made through music environments and it was a really good place to sort of let off steam if you get what I mean it's like yeah you know in Sheffield where my mother's family grew up and in London my father's family were from there everyone had parties and danced and sang and it, it felt familiar you know even though nobody was a professional musician other than my auntie for a bit it was like you know it felt familiar <laughs> yeah what made you pursue composition? Uh, well, I think like most kids, I think all kids are good at music. I think all kids can sing, they can dance. And I just made tunes up on the piano when I was a kid. I actually got to learn piano as well. My grandma, her mum was a piano teacher and um, she got us a piano from the pub and sort of encouraged us to have it in the house. And I used to make stuff up. But nobody sort of recognised that that was different or something special. It was just part and parcel of being in our sort of, you know, family. But then at school, I think, I didn't quite know what to do with that. So I sort of just did it at home privately, if you get what I mean. And I never pursued composition at school because it was done differently. It wasn't sort of, I don't know, I, I kind of tried to do it. But everybody said, well, you know, if you're not Bach or Beethoven, you know, really what is the point and I, I, I sort of got put off so I used to make songs up at home and my auntie sometimes recorded them on a four track so I always did it but yeah. then when I went to university there was a woman called Deidre Gribben who came in my third year she was like quite young but she was quite inspiring because she was doing it she was getting work performed and she was really out there and I started taking it a bit more seriously had some time out as a cellist touring and that doing pop music and folk music because that was my sort of comfortable place I never really fitted that well in the classical scene or, or I did I grew up learning classical music but when it came to that sort of professional level I felt really uncomfortable yeah I feel like I fitted in for some reason maybe it's just something that happens to people but with classical music I felt like composing, daring to compose something that might be contemporary classical felt a bit out of reach. So it wasn't until I was sort of a bit older that I said, no, I'm going to give this a go. I feel like it's in my blood. It's in my, it's in me. And, um, and I met Rianne Samuel, another female. She was a professor at City University. And at, at interview, I just knew that she knew why I hadn't done it yet. She gave yeah. me the permission to try. I kind of feel as women uh, taking up that space, that sort of, it's quite a powerful space to compose. Yeah. If you're not encouraged in formal spaces, it can feel not your space to take up. I've had a very complicated re relationship with it. So 
only now in my 40s am I really like going for it I never yeah. really you know I don't know why it's just playing cello felt acceptable yes female cellist go for it go on the telly go in a magazine but actually being a composer oh right you want to be that do you <laughs> yeah and I was gonna that was my next question for you was how was being a female composition student at the university level how was that experience for you so at postgrad it was like finally i found my space but as yeah. an undergrad i was the only woman in my year that wanted to do it so that put me apart like my best friend was like why would you want to do that you know everybody was a bit like why would you want to do that you know and i was like no, i think i do but it took me a long time to actually then go for it because only now am I looking at things like the proms in the UK last year Anna Meredith had a big piece performed only now am I noticing women taking up that space but when I was yeah. growing up I did feel like a bit it was like being outed oh oh so you think you're clever do you? <laughs> do you know what I mean I don't know why I don't feel like that anymore I feel like it's a really normal natural thing to do but yeah times have changed and there are so many people doing what what we do in all different levels now that it's not such a big deal or it doesn't it's still a big deal but it's not such a big deal and yeah people that have gone before before like you know I look at people like I was really into Kaisari Aho it's my master's thesis I mean there were some really big female names Joan Tower you know there's some mm -hmm. amazing people historically as well you know that don't get played and if their music doesn't get played how on earth are women going to aspire to reach those kind of you know it's good to have limitless opportunities but yes. it's very hard to see yourself in that that role you know I always like Alice Coltrane Nina Simone they were much more on my radar you know you have to have people out there doing stuff in the big concert halls or else people don't realize it's possible I think so yes and people people try to act like that women aren't writing as much music as men are and yeah. we definitely are. It's just not being played. Yeah. I mean, one of my best friends as a postgrad when I finally started composing, she did a whole thesis on this very well-to-do society of women musicians at the Royal Academy of Music in London. And she's got a book out on that now. But, you know, even now in, you know, in this day and age, people are still unearthing scenes and and things that were happening that just don't get talked about and it's the same with all the histories of our worlds isn't it you know you can mm -hmm. see it in every every area where you know Ada Lovelace all that kind of new history that comes to the fore I love that film Hidden Figures you know that, yeah. that to me just speaks volumes that's what it's about isn't it it's yeah. layers of of, of hidden histories that we're trying to dismantle but really it's just trying to forge new histories isn't it and histories I like the name of your podcast it's great. <laughs> thank you thank you yeah, yeah and I, I completely agree with you representation is so so important and I think you know the more that we push to have compositions and productions and those sorts of things by female musicians at the forefront of on major stages and things like you said, that's what's going to ensue that positive change because more young girls are going to see, oh, she's doing that, I can do that. And I think that's what it's all about. Yeah. 
let's talk a little bit about some of your composition. I was stalking you a little bit on your website and <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do before every interview. I just, I look everybody up and I'm, I was looking at, you've written a lot of music for uh, chamber groups and small ensembles and all sorts of different ensembles, things for children's voices and all sorts of great things. So can you talk a little bit about your compositions and your compositional process as a composer? Yeah, well, I tend to write music for the people that I meet and that I'm engaging with. So I spent a long time working after doing my master's. I went and did education. I worked for lots of music services. So I would always write little tunes for the kids, you know, some to better success than others. And I think children's voices are really beautiful. Beginner ensembles, and I've worked a lot with adult beginners. So East London Late Starters Orchestra I used to work for in um, London and writing sort of arrangements of tunes and new compositions for beginners or people at lots of different stages in their career kind of is really inspiring because you just want music to be played you know whoever whoever you meet but I also love writing music for really you know high level performers as well like I'm working with Fenella Humphreys an amazing violinist a UK female international violinist and she's just so gorgeous she'll she'll sort of like play it and then she has a youtube channel and she'll play things to people and get audiences online since lockdown but she's just so personable and meeting is about the people you meet really that yeah. inspire you to want to work with them you know that's Does great that sort of help <laughs> yeah no that's definitely that's definitely awesome and one of the main reasons why I'm having you on the show and you reached out to me and everything was this new project you're working on with Imaginary Opera. So can you talk a little bit about what is Imaginary Opera, how this came to be, and then we'll talk a little bit about the production that's coming up. Okay, cool. So I, this time last year, I went to a reggae festival with um, one of my cello students, actually. She's a writer and we presented a thing called Song of Isis. It was loads of poems on a a spoken word stage at this reggae festival and it was cello and spoken word it was really fun a little bit of a you know light-hearted thing but we got a lot of positive feedback so then I said to Christine you know what I think this would be really fun to do as an opera I've never done opera before what do you think she went oh yeah great neither of us being particular opera bruffs we don't come from that particular tradition and so I approached Bill Banks Jones who is like one of the most inspiring and open-minded figures in the sort of contemporary classical opera scenes in London and he's he's just said okay do you want to be part of it and at first I was like are you, are you sure and I've never actually met him because then lockdown happened in the UK slowly you know it happened slowly in the UK but by the time we'd got to meeting Bill Banks Jones and me had a little Zoom chat and then had a chat with Christine, all from his his little room in Cornwall. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, if you want to do it, as long as you present something, I think it'd be fun. And I sort of just took a big leap of faith. And then I decided to set up this sort of, because he was presenting new work in in the COVID crisis, it felt appropriate to call 
our company an imaginary opera big company because we didn't at that stage know whether it would actually happen live we all had to take a leap of faith to say well we're going to do something if it doesn't happen live we'll do some outdoor events locally or we'll do online digital content or we'll just go with the flow and that was really terrifying because I'm quite a control freak. <laughs> so, you know, it was a real like roller. It has been a roller coaster ride. And you know what? I never thought I'd be setting up a sort of new venture in this time because I'm a mum of a seven year old. I've been homeschooling. My husband works long hours in a very stressful job. But it has actually kept me engaged and a little bit sane to have that little window of opportunity for myself in such a difficult challenging time yeah I've kind of found it terrifying and therapeutic at the same time because I think especially as women this has really hit well definitely in the UK I don't know what it's been like in the USA but hit women have been stuck with a lot more extra jobs to do and without a little window for myself I think I'd have just felt so I felt really low but I think it would have been even worse. So I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the opportunity because it's a time and space to do what I do and to, to feel like the COVID crisis hasn't ruined everything. Mm-hmm. Everybody's work just stopped and you're like, shit, this is real. This is happening. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, it's like, but for something to keep going, I think it was one of the very few things that kept going in the UK and people were like, are you mad? Like people said, yeah. you can't be putting or something on in September. That's just not going to happen. And then it kind of is now. <laughs> I mean, only, you know, only last week we were like thinking about digital options. And then suddenly Bill and Anna were like, actually, if you want to do it live, it might be possible because they've changed the, the law in the UK. And I was like, oh my goodness, I really want to do it. But time's ticking yeah. on. So it's it's so yeah I've got this amazing group of women so Christina Sees is the writer she's a published writer I've got Martha King who's just graduated a, a young up-and-coming animator who's beautiful work paper cut um animations that's going to be the backdrop I've got Severine Howell Merry who's again a really emerging incredible actress who's been in um Hannah on Amazon Prime. Anyway, she's a lovely singer. And I've got, who else? And yeah, and, and a producer called Angara Davies, who I've known for a long time. So it's lovely working with a group of women as well at this yeah. time, just like zoning in. Challenging because we're all stretched. Everybody's lost work and everybody's mm-hmm. juggling jobs. But so lovely to have this group that have come together and really supported me because I nearly didn't feel able to do it I've had some personal things going on with my family and everybody just said no it's okay we're here we'll do it and Fenella of course I've just mentioned earlier she's going to be in it as well playing violin so yeah it's cool and I and yeah I mean just to put it in context I mean the lockdown has been terrible for me personally and for the whole planet Mm -hmm. but I got to be in the room at an engender meeting, for instance, which is this network of women that the Royal Opera House, you know, has started in, in London, Covent Garden. And if I hadn't have had the opportunity to know about it, I wouldn't have been in the room. So the fact that it was on Zoom meant I could be there. Yeah. So, there's been strange moments of incredible fortune in terms of access, not in terms of fortune like money, but in terms of <laughs> 
the, the playing field has just changed incredibly fast and quickly and that's scary and terrible but it yeah it's a renegotiation of things so I've met this amazing singer called um, Gwen Ann Rand who's been mentoring me and I would never have got to know her had it not been for that sort of opportunity so yeah sorry I'm waffling now (laughs) (laughs) you're fine no that's the whole point of this but I think it's so immensely powerful that you not only have an all-female cast but you know, you have a female composer and writer and producer and all these things so that it, this entire team of women. And that's what piqued my interest when I first heard about it. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I've ever heard of an opera company or a production like this where every member is a female. And I think that's so amazing that you're putting that out there to the public. Oh, thank you. That's really kind. I, I sort of, yeah, I perhaps didn't realize because to me it felt like the natural route for the story because it's about women and empowerment. It just felt like the right thing to do, but I hadn't really thought, well, I did it intentionally, but that's cool that you feel like that. I'm glad, you know. <laughs> yeah, and can you talk a little bit about what the opera is about? Because you just mentioned the female empowerment thing. So can you talk a little bit about the plot of the opera and yeah, I mean, it's currently being devised. So basically, there's this poem that Christine wrote, which is about Isis, who is actually, if we talk about her in a historical sense, an Egyptian goddess of love, kind of love in the wider sense of like motherhood and, and, and sort of health and wisdom and healing I mean the exact I'm not um, an expert in language I'm actually dyslexic so sometimes talking about the text is something that I'm not the best thing to do but it's kind of a story of her looking for her lover who is gone and in a wider sort of more general context Christine talks about this as being inspired by when she lived in Egypt and she met lots of women who after the Egyptian revolution had lost their their husbands and men, significant men in, in, in their lives, and some had disappeared, not all had died. And, and she's been talking about how, and how we all know how current that now is with what's going on politically. So it's, it's set in ancient Egypt, sort of in one way, but it, we don't see it as some kind of historical piece. We want it. We feel it. It's got resonances with contemporary culture today, and and I mean, she writes beautifully about it on our on our blogs. So you know, she sort of sees it as a way to not to celebrate, but to, to sort of grieve a sense of connection through grief that can sometimes feel a release you know so it's about love loss and grief all of those wonderful things (laughs) but from a female perspective and I love men I'm not at all saying I don't want to engage with men and we hope men will engage with this as much as women but it is about nurturing that female space and seeing the strength of the female perspective yeah which at times gets lost in in the especially I mean in the UK right now you know the people who are making decisions about how we re-enter our new world there are very few women at the top table so things like childcare, caring nurses wages all those really fundamental parts of society that need to engage to enable us to heal and get out of lockdown safely if they're not considered we won't return so 
it really challenges this idea that men's dominance it just can't survive you know mother nature will literally not let that happen so yeah I don't want to be too preachy but it's interesting how you know in the nations that have survived lockdown the best or survived this covid crisis the best but it's, it's no surprise they've been led by women i mean mm-hmm. you know, i don't want to get get us into trouble here but it's the truth isn't it? <laughs> we have to speak our truth <laughs> oh no you're you're completely right places like new zealand yeah they're fine now yep. denmark yeah i don't know actually whether denmark's okay but yeah they tended to be yeah new zealand don't know what it's like to live in New Zealand, but apparently they've got things back to normal. So that yes, sounds quite yes. cool. <laughs> I heard they did too. Yeah, no, I completely agree with everything that you're saying. Can you talk a little bit about, because you're writing the music for this opera. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about the music that you're putting into this opera production? Yeah, so because you can only have a couple of people on stage and we're doing it live, I'm quite limited, but limitation is a good thing, isn't it? Sometimes So I've got one solo violin, probably cello I'm just working that out because I'm a cellist and then solo voice and I'm hoping to interweave that with pre-recorded sounds because I love the interplay of pre-recorded music voice and strings but it's like I said still being devised so that may change and evolve but currently that's how it is it's quite quite simple and minimal because it has to be and Mm -hmm. in some ways that's quite nice because simple is quite nice sometimes (laughs) yeah my next question is so you're talking about the live performance and I believe according to the website it's set for September 9th yeah so so what sort of venue are you doing this performance in as you know this whole COVID thing is happening so how are you doing that live performance as of right now what are the plans so we've got um a stage plan it's the cockpit theatre in london it's near marleybone so it's sort of just north of it's sort of northwest central london nwu1 and it, yeah it's like a theatre it's going to be in thrust it's a black you know normal kind of theatre small not enormous theatre so there probably will be <laughs> i think at the most 20 people they were talking about they had their first pilot on Sunday with this amazing singer called Heloise and she I don't know how it went I haven't spoken to them so she was doing the pilot and that's really exciting so somebody's actually given it a go that the company's actually sort of tried it to see what they can and can't do safely so they're talking about 20 people in the audience mm-hmm. whereas normally I think it has a much bigger capacity but to make it safe they're having to limit so many things but I've not been able to go and inside because of locked because yeah. of the um restrictions so I mean it's incredibly scary and normally I do site visits I really like to be well prepared and I'm just yeah. gonna have to go with it it's gonna be perhaps more of a I hate the word sharing sometimes but it will be like a sharing of our work rather than a fully polished performance because if it is fully formed and polished that'll be a miracle it'll it'll be it'll have to be what it is at the moment that it we come to it because well work is always ongoing and evolving isn't it mm-hmm. but yeah it really will be quite organic I think I hope it will be really good but in an organic way are you planning on recording it or taping it at all to put online at all 
yeah it will be videoed and then after the event we can access that i mean currently i have a small animation on the website that gives a small taster of what we're doing and i've made another film yeah. with christine about the writing of it so we're, we're going to be releasing prior to the event little snippets to give people a taster of it and then after the event i don't think there'll be a paywall we were discussing whether there will be or not but Tetatet have their own Vimeo site so people can then access after the event the live recordings of it yeah it's exciting to have it videoed but you know it will be what it will be because we I'm based in Bournemouth and my singer is based in London and my violinist is based in Kent so getting everyone in the room and rehearsing on Zoom, have you tried it? It's like horrendous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it so soul destroying? Oh, yeah. It's so bad. I'm a teacher. I teach middle school and high school band. So I have kids from uh, ages 11, 12, all the way through 18. And so I know exactly how that is trying to coordinate people online and everybody talking at the same time and all those fun things. Yes. <laughs> Oh, it's, yeah, teaching is, yeah, I do a little bit of cello teaching and it's been like, I've actually really enjoyed it, but the group stuff, because my auntie runs a choir and she's just like, you can't get that feeling back when they all come back to you. Have you, have you missed that sense of community? Because oh, people yeah. are really mourning I miss, that. I miss my kids so much. Yes, I miss oh. seeing them in person. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I don't know when, when I will be able to see them again because we're not doing so well over here in the U.S. How is it? How's it been for you? Have you managed? I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's it's been kind of crazy. Like you doing this project, I've been starting this podcast project because I needed something to do because I was, you know, going crazy and I needed something to latch on to. And I was teaching all of my students online and I was stuck at home and not able to go anywhere. And so that's kind of how this project came to be. It's been really crazy. My school put forward a plan to have the kids come to school some days of the week and then go online some other days of the week. But all of that could change in an instant because while New York State is doing better than we were at the beginning of all of this, a bunch of the Southern states are doing terrible right now. And so if those cases come back up north, oh. we're kind of screwed. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, at least you've had them back because my son didn't go back at all. But my sister's based in San Francisco. So she, she said San Francisco has been fine, but mm -hmm. they've been really safe. So it's really hard, isn't it? When things change, when things feel safe yeah. and then they feel unsafe. It's a very hard thing to manage, isn't it? Your emotions and yeah. especially for children as well. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's been, oh, it's so been stressful for the kids for sure. Yeah, I'm so glad though that you you got a chance to do, you know, it's so important to do something. It doesn't matter what that something is, whether it's growing potatoes or <laughs> going to chat to your neighbour, but to have a project is really empowering, isn't it? It really yeah. helps. Yeah, very therapeutic and it keeps you going for sure. Yeah. It keeps you motivated. But yeah, no, I, I'm encouraging all of my American friends to, once this opera is filmed and it's online, to go check it out because I think it's so amazing oh. that you have an entire female crew and cast working on this. And I think it's so empowering. And I watched the animation. The animation is great. It's so cool. And oh. yeah, I really think everybody should go check it out for sure. 
Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully you get a big audience of Americans just rooting you Woo! off. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. yeah. Laura, I want to thank you so much for talking with us today and talking a little bit about your projects and some of your background. And I think we had some awesome conversation about just female empowerment. And I think that's wonderful. Thank you so much for having me.